Welcome to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. I'm Valentine. This week, we are excited to share an interview with Taryn Strong, co-founder of She Recovers, interviewed by BRN president Vimala Sara Mason-John. When I was listening to this interview, I was hit by how powerful it was to hear a woman who is highly respected in the recovery field speak on relapse, plant medicine, and having a safe space for non-binary folks in a female-focused recovery program. I'm so freaking excited that Taryn exists and that she is willing to share her truth. There are not many younger voices in recovery, and I'm so excited to now be in contact with another one. Before this interview, I knew nothing about Taryn or She Recovers, and listening to it now, I'm just so inspired by what she has accomplished and how willing she is to share her journey and support women and non-binary folks on their own path to recovery. Before we get to the interview, I do want to remind people that we have an upcoming live event, September 6th, Embodying Emotions with Somatic Meditation. Ralph Steele is our guest teacher. He has spearheaded the establishment of annual retreats for people of color at Spirit Rock Meditation Center and Insight Meditation Society. He is the guiding teacher at Life Transition Meditation Center and director of Life Transition Therapy, a clinic offering meditation-based treatment for trauma in Santa Fe. Again, this event, Embodying Emotions with Somatic Meditation, is happening September 6th. Find the link in our Instagram bio, at Buddhist Recovery, or our website, BuddhistRecovery.org. Hope you can join us as we learn about embodying emotions with somatic meditation. So, Taryn, it gives me great joy to interview the co-founder of She Recovers. I've heard so many great things. You know, when I go through my world, I hear people say, oh, I'm part of She Recovers. I'm doing something for She Recovers. And uh, so I just wanted, well, first of all, what is She Recovers? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really, I'm so excited to connect with you. You're someone who I've admired from afar for a very long time. And I was so disappointed when we've had to postpone Miami to next year because you're one of our speakers. And I was so excited to meet you this year in person, but it'll happen next year. So She Recovers, we are um, an international movement of women in recovery. And just recently, about a month ago, we actually just received our charitable status. So we are now a nonprofit public charity, which we're so excited about. Before we were operating as an LLC, but we were just so mission focused that we realized that what we needed to do was switch our model so that we can ensure that we can reach and help as many women as possible. So what we do is we create online and in-person events when we can. Of course, right now we aren't able to do the in-person events, but we've created some in-person and online opportunities for women to connect, support, and empower each other. And what we really believe in is that we're all recovering 
recovering from something. So women, regardless of what they're recovering from, are welcome in our community. They're welcome in our movement. And we also really emphasize the importance of women finding a patchwork and a pathway of recovery that works best for them. So we have women recovering from all the things in all the different ways. And it's so beautiful when we, when we let's say, because right now we're focusing on online, we're doing two free Zoom gatherings a day. And it's so beautiful to witness women recovering from all different things in all different ways, but coming together and really noticing that although our stories are different, although our tools are different, at the core of it, we we are the same and we're all on this seeking journey, journey of healing together. So she recovers. We're a lot of things. But right now, what we're most excited about is we are a nonprofit. How does that affect people in recovery, That the fact that now you're a, non, you're a nonprofit? How is that going to impact your clientele? Yeah. So what it's going to do is we're going to be able to apply for funding and grants. And our we have three missions that we're wanting to do. We're wanting to focus on peer-to-peer support. We're going to be focusing on research as well as public awareness. And how this is going to change now that we're a public charity is we're going, we can accept donations, which we're already getting. We'll apply for funding and grants, and then we can continue to provide these free offerings that we're offering that are volunteer-led by our She Recovers recovery coaches. So right now, as I mentioned, we're doing two free online Zoom gatherings a day. We want to keep doing those. Those, and we want to add more. We want to have meetings, you know, all day, every day, if we can, that are free, no cost. Of course, there are the barriers of someone needing a device to join the online call, as well as access to internet. But when we are allowed to gather in person again, whenever that happens, we're also wanting to ensure that we are going to have volunteer-led opportunities for women to meet together in person where it's free. Before, our offerings were events, workshops, and retreats, and there were a cost associated with those. Every event, workshop, and retreat, we would have sponsorships. We were so lucky that that by the um, generous donations of our community, we would do sliding scale, or we would just have women that would offer up scholarship spots. So we always had some scholarship spots available. But it's always been our dream that anything that we're offering, there aren't the financial barriers and that that isn't something that impacts whether a woman can come or not. So the big long-term goal is to be able to have retreats and events where women don't have to pay. They don't have to pay. It's going to be fully funded through scholarships. Um, But we're step-by-step right now. It's the online and then we'll do the in-person gatherings and then ultimately the end game will be conferences and retreats where there's no financial barriers so tell me about you you know I'm really curious about you because you're young I can see okay I know you're most probably not as young as what you look but you're young and it's really great I you know it's it's really great I mean I'm I'm putting you you're you're millennial I'm I'm assuming (laughs) a millennial which is fantastic having a millennial kind of leading in Mm. the field of recovery but how did you get into this into recovery what what tell me something about you and your journey yeah you bet well thank you I just squeak in the millennial bracket I'm 34 so I just made it to be call myself a millennial but um so 
I, my, the other founder of She Recovers is my mom, Don Nickel. So we're both in recovery from, you know, we're all in recovery from so many things. But what my mom and I have in common is we're both in recovery from substance use disorder and trauma and a bunch of other things. So I identify as being in recovery with substance use disorder. Um, my main drugs of choice were um, like cocaine and meth. When I was 16, I hit a really hard bottom with that. And then in my 20s again, um, trauma, disordered eating, grief codependency. And what I've realized in my recovery journey is those were things that I was using to cope with underlying, um, having no self-esteem, no self-confidence, no self-worth, etc. And the trauma, a lot of childhood trauma. Um, so what brought me on this path was my mom entered recovery when I was four years old. So I actually, my earliest memories, my first memories were 12-step meetings. You know, back in the 80s, that's what was available. So my mom did go to treatment and then she joined a 12-step program, which saved her life. I can We can say that, that that community and that program saved her life. So I grew up around 12 steps. And you'd think that growing up in a recovery home that maybe I wouldn't have gone down the addictive path that I did. My sister didn't, but I chose, um, I went down the path of addiction. And that, you know, like I said, when I was 16, I hit a very fast, hard bottom. I did get into recovery for a few years. And then in my 20s, I relapsed again and then got back on track, luckily, because at this point, um, when I was in my 20s, when I had relapsed, we had already started She Recovers. So I had relapsed after forming She Recovers with my mom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was teaching yoga for recovery and I was leading women's recovery retreats and I was living this double life. I had tried to convince myself that because I wasn't using all day every day, I was comparing myself to 16-year-old Taryn, and I thought, well, I'm not that bad, so I'm totally fine. I have it under control, which we can lie to ourselves about anything, and I really was in a really deep, deep denial. But then one day, the, the shame and the emotional hangovers were just too much for me to handle. I couldn't handle it anymore, so I... Um, I was able to be honest with myself and with my community, and it's just that was over four years ago now, and it's been just such a beautiful, beautiful journey ever since. This is really important for, for our listeners because, as we know, that relapse is often part of many people's journey to recovery. And there you are in, in a leadership position, you know, working within the recovery world, you you relapse. How did you have the courage to come out and just say what was doing? What was that, what what was happening for you? What was that like for you? It was terrifying. I had convinced myself that I I knew that I needed to be honest because like I said, it was just the shame. The shame was so unbearable. I couldn't even look myself in the mirror anymore. And I knew that I had to be honest with, with my community. I needed to practice what I preach. I was trying so long to pretend that I had it all together when I so was far from having it together. And I just had this knowing deep in my bones that by, you know, I, I, it felt like I was outing myself, that by outing myself, I was um, 
I was afraid that the community was going to call me a fraud because those were the things I was telling myself. I was afraid the community was going to tell me I was a fraud and I was going to be banned and nobody would ever talk to me again. But I just had this knowing that even if that's what's going to happen, the right thing to do is to be honest and to be vulnerable and to be real. And when I shared with the community what, what had happened and where I was, the exact opposite happened of course the women in my community in our in our community they just they they gathered around me and they lifted me and they all were so appreciative of the honesty and the vulnerability because they had shared that it gave them the the um, permission to be honest and vulnerable in their recovery as well. So it was terrifying, but I just knew that I, that I had to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't live the lie anymore. It was, it was too unbearable. It was too much. And, um, yeah, it was just such a beautiful moment for me. And it's been so beautiful ever since just to be in full alignment in full integrity and impeccable with my speech. Honesty is a priority and, you know, when you when you're able to really live in your integrity, there's that's just really been the biggest gift of my recovery is just that it, it you, feels beyond anything I could have imagined. No, it's, it's, it's very inspiring. And I'm just wondering, do you know what caused that relapse? What what was going on in your life? This is good. Yeah, for our listeners to know for those early oh, warning signs that you absolutely. missed. Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. It was um, a few things. One of the things was a lot of unresolved childhood trauma that was below the surface, that was driving the bus for a really long time that I wasn't aware of. So at this point, keep in mind, I had been in therapy since I was, I don't know, a preteen. Um, I had a yoga practice. I had a meditation practice. 12 Steps, um, I have nothing but love and respect for them, but they, 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 I didn't resonate with them. So I wasn't in a program. But what I realized was there was a lot of childhood trauma that I had never, ever dealt with or even addressed. I, I pretended it didn't happen. And I also had this story and believed that because I was so young when a lot of it happened, that there's no way it could have possibly affected me. Luckily, I found a therapist, um, you know, at one point when who shared that no that's that's not true even if we don't have the memories of it energetically and emotionally we do have the the memory so there was that and then i also had some some traumas as well one of them was um i got married young married quickly i didn't know the guy that i married so we got married and divorced very quickly and i felt a lot of shame around that and i also had encountered um some sexual trauma after the divorce. So I, you know, it was the relapse that was me trying to cope with old traumas, with these new traumas on top of it, and not reaching out for new tools. And also because I was trying, because I had this um, belief that I had instilled within myself that I needed to have it all together. And that reach, I felt like reaching out, um, I shouldn't be in a place where I should need to reach out. I felt like I should just be able to handle it all on my own which of course isn't true. So yeah, it was, it was old and some new traumas. Yeah. It's, you've spoken quite a bit about trauma, quite key, quite key to your experience. And um, I'm just wondering if it's okay to ask you about that childhood trauma, if you're able oh, to yeah, say what that course. was. 
Yeah, absolutely. So my parents, both my parents um, were addicts, drug addicts, and they were also at the time when my sister and I were young, they were drug dealers, they were cocaine dealers. So the first four years of my life were very traumatic in terms of there was a lot of chaos around us. There was a lot of unhealthy people around us. Um, My dad was, when he would be in his, he was a cocaine addict and he would be violent towards my mother. Um, There was a case when my my dad was stealing from his boss and his boss had bikers come to beat him up. And I was there and I remember it. And, um, you know, I thought my, I thought I was going to witness my, my father die. So it was those types of things. So there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of, um, just, it was a very unhealthy environment for a four and an eight year old to be in, you know, like, thank mm-hmm. goodness. Like I said, my mom, um, that brave woman entered recovery when I was four, but those first four years, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that went down, um, that I never, never dealt with mm-hmm. that. I just, you know, I was really lucky that my parents were always really open the conversation was always open. If, if my sister or I ever had any questions, my mom being in recovery and on her own healing path, she was just, she did such a good job of, you know, being open, but not too open, of course, um, until we were old enough to really know mm. a lot of the things. But um, yeah, I just, I think I spent a lot of my life just trying to pretend that those things didn't affect me. I just, I really thank you for sharing that because it makes me realize that there's an amends that I need to make because when I was younger, my, my children's home sister, so it would be my children's home's niece and her father was a Coke dealer. We used to hang out, but we were always around the house with my children's home sister, her sister doing Coke. And, and we've never really had a conversation about it and it's because I think it's because she's doing really well but actually on a particular level I know like yeah she's doing really well in terms of you know being able to raise a family having a successful job but I know that actually because there are the signs that actually not doing so well and I and I I I think that I owe it to her to have that conversation. I'm not going to force the mother to have the conversation or, you know, the aunt, but I think, you know, I, I owe it to her. So thank you for, for telling me that and just remembering the impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I have goosebumps. Thanks for sharing that too. And yeah. really what's been a gift these past few years that I've, that I've been diving into to help heal a lot of that childhood trauma is doing inner child work and reparenting work which, you know, I'd always heard the terms inner child and reparenting and just kind of thought they were buzzwords and thought they were kind of cheesy and silly. But I had a therapist who um, actually I was working with a shaman with plant medicine who had explained it in a different way to me. And it just finally clicked. So for the past few years, I've really prioritized the inner child work. And when I'm noticing myself feeling triggered um, or feeling provoked, I you reach out for my tools and I just take a moment to pause and I ask, I call her Tiny Taryn. I ask Tiny Taryn, what do you need right now? And I just, I connect with myself at that age and I just ask her what she needs. And usually it's, you know, she just wants to be seen, heard. She wants to be held. She wants to feel safe. And when I'm able to connect with my inner child, 
you know, the trigger softens, the reactivity softens, and um, the reparenting work as well of keeping a promise to myself, you know, small promises to myself every day has been really huge in my recovery as well. Mm. So that's helped with the childhood trauma healing journey Mm. that I've been on. Thank you. And and you mentioned plant medicine. I mean, how has that helped your recovery, the plant medicine? And would you would you recommend it to people who are struggling with addictive behaviors? Yeah, you know, I it's been huge for me. It's been really helpful for me in my recovery. Um, I don't think it's for everyone. I think that if you feel called to it, I think there's this really, um, you'll know if it's a yes or if it's a no. And if you're called to it, I think that it's, it's a beautiful pathway. It's a beautiful thing to work with. If, um, but like I said, I don't think it's, I don't think it's for everyone unless you really feel the call. Um, but for me, it has been really, it's probably been the most, it's, it, I will say, actually, it has been the most powerful and profound experience that I've had for my recovery. Um, it's also the most uncomfortable, painful, <laughs> frightening experience, but the other side of it has been a deep, deep healing for me. How often do you drink? Is it something that you drink regularly or is it a one-off? No, you know, I've only sat with it twice. Um, well, two different retreats um, in the past year. I think I will sit with it again when and if the opportunity arises. But I also, um, I know some people who will just sit once or twice or more. I think it really depends. But it has been so um, powerful for me that I, I'm sure I will sit again. Mm. Yeah, And uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the relationship with your mother. I mean, it's quite amazing, isn't it, that, you know, your, your mother went into recovery when you were age four. You actually, you went into recovery as well. I mean, even though you started taking the drugs and a Coke, you were going into your recovery. You needed to recover from your childhood. So let's see, yeah. you both went into recovery. But what's that relationship been like? Has it always been harmonious? Oh, my gosh, no. Gosh, no, not at all. Um, You know, growing up, I was a daddy's girl. Um, I had a – and, you know, my father was my first codependent relationship that I ever had. My parents, they they divorced. They split up when my mom got into recovery. She realized that that lifestyle was something she had to get away from. And I always had, I always felt guilty that my dad, I just had this idea that my dad was just this lonely old bachelor and I just felt guilty for him. And at a young age, felt the responsibility to feel like I needed to take care of him. So growing up, I was a bit of a daddy's girl. And then when I became an adult, when I, you know, when I turned 18, it was like something switched where you know that moment when you just you look at your mother and you see her for the the woman that she is and all that she does and i our relationship started to change in in a really beautiful way i think i just grew up i just grew up and also started to really get honest about the experiences that that did happen when my mom and my dad were together and then my mom got cancer when I was 20, and we thought we were going to lose her. She had a stage three colon cancer, and the doctors really weren't um, – they didn't think it was going to end very well and basically 
said get your affairs in order but she's such a badass of course she's she she survived but that again that changed everything where all of a sudden i had this realization that oh my gosh our parents aren't immortal our parents are going to pass away one day and that that changed everything um now have things always been harmonious so then things were good as the mother daughter relationship was it was great and then she recovers happened organically. It was never planned. We started a Facebook page that then evolved into the retreats and everything else. But all of a sudden, we found ourselves mother, daughter, and business partners. And my mother and I could not be more different, which works in a lot of ways. But in the beginning, there was definitely, um, we had growing pains and we had to navigate, okay, when am I your daughter? And when are we business partners? Because there are some days when I just need my mom. I just, I need you to be my mom and vice versa. She needs me to be her daughter. And there are days where I need you to respect me as as a woman who's your business partner and not just your child. So, you know, we've been doing this together for eight or nine years. It's been a long process. But I I can confidently say that the past two years, we finally figured it out. So I guess it took about seven years to figure it out. And one of the ways that we've been able to figure it out is we got a therapist, which is so funny because it's almost like she's a she's a couples therapist, <laughs> but it's my mom and I. So our first session that we ever had with her, because we realized there must be this communication thing going on because when I say something, she's interpreting it a completely different way, et cetera, right? Both, and it was going both ways. So we found this amazing therapist who agreed to see us. And after our first session, we left that office literally screaming at each other all the way down to the elevator. We we were just yelling at each other. And then the second session that we had, we had a breakthrough. We were able to realize, oh, this, we were able to kind of see each other's communication style in a different way. So we left that office not screaming at each other. And then our third session only lasted half an hour because after half an hour, we just, things have, the the big bump that we had had been resolved. So our therapist after 30 minutes said, okay, well, I guess you can just go home now. So we, we laugh about that, that we have, we have a couples therapist and we have an amazing team who, um, I mean, God, God bless them. Cause I, I don't know what, how it is for them to work with a mother daughter team. I'm sure I have some ideas, but they they really help us navigate things as well. They keep us in check. But it's been a journey. It's definitely been a journey. But, you know, it's been so beautiful. And I can honestly say if either of us weren't in recovery, there's no way we could do this together. Um, it's because of our recovery tools and because our I think our recoveries are so different. Um, it just works together. It's also been really beautiful as, you know, I really, really – appreciate the indigenous wisdom about ancestral healing and ancestral trauma. So for me, it's been so beautiful in my own recovery to be able to recognize um, some of these ancestral wounds and patterns that have stopped at my mom and then have now stopped at me. And knowing that the work that we're doing together is healing her mom and her mom and is healing my niece and my nephew. And and that's the most meaningful thing out of all of this for me mm-hmm. is the, the family trauma and the ancestral trauma that we're healing separately and together um, individually, but also collectively and also being able to share that with our community 
about the important work of healing ourselves to heal backwards in time and forward in time. That's beautiful and amazing that it means that Dawn has lived 14 years on after that diagnosis when she yes. when you're 20. Maybe she's a badass, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so your father, is he, is he in recovery? You know, he's not. He's not. He, um... No, he's not in recovery, but he did. He scared himself. He had so many overdoses and he actually had put himself into a drug-induced psychosis at one point that he doesn't do cocaine anymore. And he stopped that when I was young, but he does, he, he drinks beer. Um, but I wouldn't say that he's an alcoholic, which I think is is unbelievable considering he hasn't, I love him. I mean, if he, I don't think he'll ever hear this, but in case he does, I love him. But he hasn't done any recovery work or that I'm aware of. Um, so the fact that he does, he, he is not an alcoholic, I think is really surprising. That might sound really, I'm saying, as I'm saying that, that sounds horrible. But um, yeah, no, he's not in recovery, but he, we've done a lot of healing. And I'm really lucky that my parents were able to put their shit aside and they co-parented my sister and I beautifully growing up. Um, We never would have known that they didn't actually like each other (laughs) at all. You know, we didn't find that out until we were graduated how, um, yeah, they, but they put that all aside so that we could just think that everybody was living peacefully and harmoniously. What does your father think about the work that you do? You know, we don't really talk about it. I think a part of it is because it is my mom and I. I wonder if a little bit of that is a little bit challenging for him. So we don't really talk about it. I know that he is proud and he thinks it's really cool. I don't know if he really understands what we do or what we're doing. Um, but I think he's proud. I think he's proud. <laughs> yeah. And you you speak about the ancestral trauma, also intergenerational trauma. How was your sister? Your sister was four years older than you. That's right. Yeah. 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 So how's she been? Although she didn't pick up the the cocaine and, and the drugs, what did she pick up? Did she pick up food or relationships? What? How did she recover? Yeah. So she did have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. She was definitely a binge drinker to a really unhealthy degree. Um, and then she, she, she's a cancer. That's her sign, her sun sign. And she has always just wanted to be a wife and to have children. That was always her dream. And when she got married, oh gosh, a, a long time ago, many, many years ago, she stopped drinking because she knew that she wanted to start trying to get pregnant. And she did. So now I have a niece, Marley, who's my life. She's four and a half. And Parker, who's two weeks old. And she, I, we joke that now her obsession and her addiction are her children. Like she just, she loves being a mother. She loves being a wife. She's so good at it. She is just, I'm in awe of her every single day. And um, she's someone who, she doesn't like to talk about her feelings. So I wonder about that sometimes. Um 
she doesn't like she she'll she's never been to any of my yoga classes she's never been to any of our she recovers events she thinks we're weird she thinks we're crazy she doesn't want to talk about feelings she doesn't want anybody hugging her i mean you never have to be hugged in any of our events but she she thinks we're weird and crazy but she's really happy for us but she's healthy and she's happy that's that's great yeah a happy a happy ever after story yeah yeah Yeah. happy ever after yeah absolutely so let let's talk a a bit more about she she recovers i mean first of all are you familiar with the other recovery organizations run by women or set up by women as soberistas in the uk and then there is tempest in uh the usa and we have she recovers in in canada well based it's international but you know grown out of uh, Canada how are you different from those two organizations yeah oh gosh that's a great question so Tempest from my understanding um, they are more focusing on alcohol and they are also co-ed so men and women so I think what makes us different, I guess what makes us different from Soberistas as well is we're not just alcohol recovery. We're not even just substance use recovery. We are also, um, we are mental health. We really talk a lot and focus a lot about mental health challenges as well as eating disorders. We have um, grief. We have um any, you name it. We have a lot of women surviving cancer as well. So we, like I said, we, we were all recovering from something and everyone's welcome in our community. So that really sets us apart. And when women are in our gatherings or at our events, they really appreciate the, um, the environment where they can talk about anything. Because recovery really evolves and changes over time as well. So the women love that maybe, maybe they are drawn to us at first because alcohol was their thing. But then they peel that layer and then they realize, oh, maybe there was a bit of the codependency in there as well. And oh, okay, then maybe there was the codependency because of the grief thing and it can go the other way as well. So the women in our community just love that we, you know, they always, we always hear them say there are no outside issues. We, we talk about all the traumas and we talk a lot about the intergenerational trauma as well and how that affects. And we just really encourage women to have a patchwork of all the different things. If 12-step works for you, great. If plant medicine works for you, great. Buddhism, awesome. Meditation, all of those things. And it's just a great um, environment for women to learn about all the different pathways as well from other women who are doing the work and trying the different things. And what are some of the basic tools or the tools which are particular to She Recovers that somebody like me, if I came along, what would I expect to get and receive? Yeah, so you would receive so something that I love that we use at our retreats, which I mean, optional, women don't have to do it. But I teach trauma informed yoga. We really believe that having a holistic approach to recovery is key. So addressing the mind, the body and the spirit. So within our programming, we always make sure that we have an element that's addressing the body, whether that is the trauma informed yoga, or we also have She Recovers Dance, which is created by one of our amazing um, women in our team, Peyton Kennedy. 
So we have an element of the body. Also, we focus on the importance of the co-creation and of community. So being supported by the women in the community and knowing that um, it's it has nothing. It's not mom and I. It's it's not us at all. What the power in the community is is all the women that come and are supporting each other. So there's the peer to peer support. Um, what else? We have a coach program. So we have many women who are certified She Recovers Recovery Coaches. So we have them that are hosting different types of group coaching or sharing circles, which is really powerful and really beautiful as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, there was, there was something I wanted to ask you and I've just gone blank because I was just so in interested in in hearing what what she she recovers um yeah let me just take a pause let me just take a pause yeah. there because we can always um exactly we, we 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 can we can always edit edit stuff out yeah yeah um something important i wanted to ask you about she she recovers yeah maybe it's not, not maybe it's not there Okay, if if it's important, it will it will come up again. That would teach me for trying to listen to what I wanted to ask you and then listening to you at the same time, which is a fatal. I broke my own rule. Never listen to the next question that you want to ask. I understand. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Actually, I that's what I wanted to ask you. What does trauma informed yoga look like? We hear a lot. I mean. Trauma has become the buzzword, which is fantastic. I yeah. mean, you know, but what does trauma-informed yoga look like? If I came to a trauma-informed yoga class, what would that look like? Yeah, I love this question. I love talking about this. So, you know, what's so great about trauma being a buzzword and the fact that yoga has become so popular is a lot of, you know, therapists and doctors, when they have someone come and rec- and someone's on this path of healing or recovery, a lot of people are getting recommended to go to a yoga class. And by no fault of the yoga teacher, some yoga classes can be quite triggering. Um, or things that can happen in yoga classes are quite triggering. So that's why trauma-informed yoga was created. And what you can expect in a trauma-informed yoga class versus uh, just a normal, regular drop-in yoga class, the main differences are, one of them would be, I guess the main one would be, the language that we use. The language is very invitational. You as the student are really truly in charge of the experience. So I will be using a lot of verbal cues like when you're ready, if you're ready, giving a lot of choices um, and really encouraging the student to feel and decide what feels best for them in that moment. Now, sometimes, though, when we have trauma survivors on the yoga mat, it takes time and it takes practice to actually know what is best for us in in that moment. Sometimes when we're recovering from trauma, we are completely disconnected from our bodies because we've disassociated, which is an intelligent thing that our body does. It's a survival mechanism, but sometimes we disassociate and then it's hard to be in our body. Our body body feels like an unsafe place to be. So sometimes when we do reconnect with our body, it can be terrifying and it can be triggering. So a trauma-informed yoga teacher has the tools to guide the student on this, I call it a journey, every class feels like a journey, to reclaim their body and reconnect with their body in a safe 
safe way, in a very, very gentle way, in the time that feels best for the student on the mat. Lots of choices, like I said, and also lots of invitation where, you know, a lot, for example, the what we do at the end of the yoga class where we rest, right? Sometimes laying still for a few minutes in a dark room actually would be quite triggering and terrifying. So not only do we keep the lights low or or on, lots of permission to keep moving if you need to. You don't have to stay still if you don't want to stay still. So that's an example. Um, we don't use hands-on adjustments. So in a trauma-informed class, you can be rest assured that you aren't going to have anybody putting their hands on you, which which is nice to know that you're just going to have your own experience in your body on your mat. Um, we don't use Shavasana. We just use English so that if someone doesn't know the term, they aren't feeling like they know less than anyone else in the room or shame around that. So, you know, I could go on and on. But so those are some of the key things. Really, it's about the language that we use. There's there's no commands. Um, I have women who come to my classes and they and I tell them at the beginning of the class, if you just want to have a nap, have a nap. If you need to if you're restless and you need to move your body in different ways, please do. And they do. And that's what they need. They just need that permission to um, safely reconnect with their body in the way that works for them. And where all of our traumas are different and our healing journeys are different. So what we need to safely and somatically reconnect is different. Mm. Thank you for that. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, your organization is called She Recovers. What does recovery mean for you? What does that mean, recovery? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love this question. I think recovery to me means it's almost like this remembering, this recovering our truth, recovering our essence, recovering our potential that is always there. It never leaves us. It doesn't go anywhere, but we forget. We we get all of these walls that we build up or these old stories that we tell ourselves that aren't true. And maybe there are stories and maybe they were stories that were passed down to us. And we just have these stale beliefs and these negative thought patterns. So to me, she recovers and recovery means just this process and this work of recovering our truth and our essence which is we aren't broken and we aren't flawed Mm -hmm. and we are powerful and we are beautiful and we are resilient and we are magnificent but we need the tools and we need our community to help us remember that sometimes that's beautiful thank you and just uh, we're coming to an end quite soon but one of the things that I find really inspiring about she recovers tempest soberistas is is that actually it's widened the lens of recovery who recovery is for as you say you know when your mum went into recovery it would have been predominantly men i mean there would have been women there but it would have been predominantly men and what what these organization or your organization is doing is allowing making it welcoming for women to come but what I want to ask you is, is how welcoming is that to, you know, black, indigenous, people of color, queer, etc.? Because still, if we look in that recovery world, it is still predominantly white. That's right. Oh, thank you for bringing this up, too, because this is a conversation that we've been having 
within our team internally for for years now because you know we like I said we started as a Facebook page and our Facebook page she recovers was very diverse we had a lot of diversity and then we had our first event our big big conference in New York City in 2017 and we of course we didn't know the women who registered for it but it was 500 women and when we walked into the conference room that first night, mom and I looked at each other and our jaws dropped because it was a room of 498 white women with a few women of color. We couldn't believe it. We had no, we, we just assumed that we just, yeah, we just didn't know. So that was a really big learning moment for us. So big. And we have been trying to yeah, it's been something that we've been working with ever since. And it's been a priority of ours of how do we ensure that our community is welcoming to all women? We also say, um, you know, cisgender women, trans women, and non-binary individuals are welcome in our community. Um, so we, and we, we we're really proud of that and we we want that um but what we are missing is the diversity in skin tone and that as well so we do have a diversity committee that we're working with right now i don't know if you know sherry hampton or esther nicholson they're amazing and they're helping us um and they're they're she recovers coaches and we're actually thinking of some ideas some different webinar webinars because right now we're we can only do things online of different conversations that we want to start having with women of color in the community now being canadian as well you know giving back to the indigenous women is really close to our hearts and important to us as well. So we're also trying to find ways where we can reach out to the Indigenous women as well. But we're learning and we're unlearning every single day. And this is a conversation I would love to have with you when we have more time as well, if you'd be open to it, because it's something that is with, especially with our nonprofit, that is top of our list as well is increasing diversity, you know, increasing access, which we're already doing. So that's great. But increasing diversity, how do we do it? How do we, how do we ensure that um, all women feel and know that they are welcome? Because it mm. is predominantly white women right now mm. in She Recovers and also other, the other communities, recovery communities as well. So yeah, it's, a great question that I would love more answers to. <laughs> That's great. And I, yeah, I definitely have some contacts, contacts with the First Nations Health Authority here on the West Coast, which we are, which I would say would be your first port of call Perfect. in terms of Indigenous. And then, you know, looking at kind of African descent, Asian descent, that's a different, um, that, that's kind of different, but definitely, yeah. yeah. So, um is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah. I would just like to thank you for, I just, I feel so honored to have been able to talk to you and, and be on your podcast. So thank you for all of the incredible work that, that you do and all of the amazing resources that you create for the recovery community. It's really, really powerful and really important. So thank you. And thank you. I mean, I feel very privileged to have a young voice and that's not me kind of taking away you know what you do and what you say but you're that new generation you mm. know you're you're the new generation and this new generation is changing the face of recovery 
just like Holly Whitaker is also a bit older, but also changing the face of recovery. And may we keep on doing it together rather than working separately, but working together. Absolutely. Collaboration is the only way forward, we say. We're stronger mm. together. And how would people find you? Yeah, so they can find our website is sherecovers.co. That's going to be changing in July. To, so depending when you're listening to this, it might be sherecovers.org as we're just moving everything over to the nonprofit. We have our Facebook page, which is She Recovers. We're on Instagram, which is she underscore recovers. Um, if, you'd, if you'd like to attend our free Zoom gatherings that are volunteer led by our She Recovers coaches, you can go to our website and you will sign up for our newsletter. We don't send out very many newsletters at all because we're not that organized. <laughs> but when you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get an autoresponder that has the link to the Zoom gatherings. We have that in place. So we have some extra security in place so that we don't get Zoom bombed like, like some communities have been happening to them. Um, and yeah, we would love to have any any woman who feels called to come to our Zoom gatherings. You don't have to share. You can just listen and just hold space. That's equally as important and, and powerful in the recovery journey as well. Hi, I'm Bimla Sara, president of the Buddhist Recovery Network. Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the academy, free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses. Thank you. And to show our gratitude for your support, all Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Again, patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace. Thank you.